Let's have some fun. What's going on, champ? I appreciate you doing this. I uh, know. Yeah. Thanks for having me on this. Uh, it's nice to be recognized from the States. Big time, bro. Big time. What's your go-to quintessential food from the UK? I'm going to sound like a New Yorker. Is it fish and chips, shepherd's pie, bangers and mash, or am I just being completely a tourist? <laughs> uh, I mean, you can't beat a roast dinner. You can't beat a roast dinner. That's, that, my, that's probably my go-to. Is that your first cheat meal after a match? I try I try to. A lot of time it is because usually a uh, fight is obviously on a Saturday. And then uh, on a Sunday, I try and get the family together and go for a nice roast somewhere. Nice English country pub, uh, something like that. So that's always good. So, uh, yeah, it's not usually I mean, my first cheat meal right after the fight is usually pizza because that's the only place that's open. So, uh, yeah, but the next day, try and get a roast in. I called you champ when we started the show. Does that get old yet? How awesome is it hearing everyone calling you champ? <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's nice. It's uh, obviously uh, yeah, a long, hard slog to to get to that stage, but uh, yeah, it's it's nice. It's uh, it's strange when you know it, at first it got getting used to when people would announce me as world champion, uh, and I'd always get a little smile. I still do, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's it sunk in. Kind of, and kind of got used to it, but still, uh, still a bit strange at the same time. You won the title a few months ago uh, in May, and I think it was a day before your son's first birthday. So it's great; the whole world is recognizing you as the champ. Then you go home, and your dad, like, how quick does that just? I don't want to say humble you. It's like I'm the champion of the world. You come home, and it's like clean the diapers. Like how? I always love that when like a, a a new father is the champion, yet you just go home and your dad, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. It keeps you grounded for sure. And uh, yeah, his birthday was the day before my fight. So um, yeah, he was at the weigh-in uh, with a, <laughs> a friend of ours, got us uh, a AFC Bournemouth football or soccer team in your case, uh, with world champion 23 on the back. They got him that for Christmas. So uh, five months later, he's wearing it on his first birthday at my weigh-in. Uh, and there's amazing pictures of him like, with the shirt, the back of him looking at me on the scales uh, on his first birthday. So they're really nice memories. But yeah, it gets uh, literally, I got in after the fight. I left the stadium um, at half two and we got back to the hotel. The team at the hotel, there's about 10 of us in my room eating pizzas. And that's about as far as celebrations went for me. I did have an after party book, but uh, I couldn't make it by the time I'd actually got out after the stitches and the press conference and the drugs test I, i've missed it so uh yeah i didn't even turn up to my own after party but it's um yeah then uh yeah i got home uh my, my wife left early because she had to relieve the babysitter um so she'd been gone like since like two o'clock i got home at half five from the hotel after doing another interview for a friend and uh yeah it was um she the little man had just woken up so uh she was like, are you going to be able to sleep? And I was like, no. Uh, so she's like, yeah, then and passed into me. And uh, that was it. Back to dad mode very, very uh, soon after, three hours after I left the, the venue. So, yeah, it was uh, but amazing. Got to go, you know, take him into the lounge and show him the, oh. the belt. And um, it was a special moment. Not that he was too bothered, but it was nice to get pictures of him. Um, right, you know, I, I, I said, that be his other birthday present uh, would be a, a world title. So uh, it was nice to bring that home to. I want to rewind a little bit. So I know you have the drug testing. I know how it works. Where were you going that they didn't keep the uh, they didn't keep the venue open late enough for you, for you? No, they actually kept it open uh, like another hour later than they were supposed to. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah. And then to be honest, by then I was just shattered and I just wanted just to eat some pizza. It would have been a nightmare going there. There's probably, you know, it was only friends and family invited, but probably over a hundred people in there and it would have just been havoc and my eyes stitched up and I'm battered and bruised. And by that time the adrenaline worn off a little bit. So I was just achy and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it would have just, it would have been just all my mates just drunk and, just annoying me <laughs> uh, not annoying me but no it was uh yeah it was it's probably for the best to be honest i love interviews with you because listen you love boxing of course you do it's your passion but when you talk about your family you're always glowing when you talk about your wife and the kids i went on your instagram well my wife because i don't have instagram and i saw a lot of pictures of you and your wife so you seem like a romantic dude how'd you propose to your wife you're a killer in the ring how do you propose <laughs> uh i i took a 
there's a place in um, in England called Cornwall. It's a nice little, sure, sure. Uh, nice county, some beautiful seaside towns, and there's a little bay there called um, Kynance Cove. It's it's a cove, sorry. So it's called Kynance Cove. Beautiful. The water there is so blue at certain times of year. And there's a cliff top, and uh, I wrote a little poem, and uh, she had no idea. I was my oh, cousins wow. lived down that way. One of them's a photographer, and I said, "Ah, oh, Jack's Jack's going to go and do some photography down Kynance Cove. We might we'll go and do it. It's a nice little walk, etc." Uh, and then I was like, "I want to go up there." And there's this nice little spot on a rock, and looking over the beach. And then uh, yeah, so I did a little poem and uh, proposed to her. Then everyone on the beach started clapping. So uh, I think my my mum and my auntie were down there. And they'd, uh, they'd uh, like obviously told people, people had seen, and uh, yeah, it was it was nice. It was a real nice moment. But it went to plan. We were lucky with the weather and everything. So, oh uh, yeah, it always uh, it seemed to work out. Thankfully, the, your fans wear the Red Army gear, awesome shirts. Have you ever seen someone wearing it not at the arena? Have you ever seen anyone like out and about in town wearing it? Uh, I've seen. I've seen. I think I have seen a few. Sometimes, um, so I've been to the AFC Bournemouth football games. Sure. And um, people have had them there, and like when I and they've got me to sign it and stuff after because I like do, do a pitch walk at the uh, the first football game of the season, which was the first game there since my fight. So um, yeah, you know, got to I've signed a signed a few shirts and stuff, which is nice. It's. Uh, yeah, not a ton of things, not just out and about, I don't think, um, but obviously at the, at the football stadium um, and also, yeah, um, and obviously at the fights and stuff. Would you approach him? If you're you're in the store, you're about to get some food, you're about to get some fish and chips, and the dude in front of you is wearing a Red Army shirt, do you say something to him or no? <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> I don't know, I guess, I guess I'd, I probably would. I'd probably say nice shirt or something like that. Um, and then hopefully it would uh, Hopefully you recognize me. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I told my wife to message you because I wanted you to come on the show. I've, I've been a fan of yours. And then as I started looking into you, you host a podcast, The Perfect Athlete. So I went on. I saw it. Marathon Rona, a polo guy, a darts champion, all these unique people with great stories. But you haven't dropped an episode in a while. What happened? Why are you slacking on me, champ? Uh, it, was a, it was a lockdown thing for me. And, uh, you know, training's obviously taken over we've also the gym's moved since and um i spent a lot of time in london i have recorded a couple more episodes one with my coach shane and one with um Stas, a friend of mine who's the he's a founder of through dark the brand that sponsored me okay. and uh they're a really cool outdoor clothing brand uh, and he was an ex sbs so ex special forces yeah. soldier um and yeah i've done a couple but i'm kind of rebranding it i think and i'm not sure if i'm going to do perfect athlete i f- might just uh rebrand the the podcast as a whole so yeah watch this space but uh yeah unfortunately not in a while so but i enjoyed it it was nice to delve into other sports people and what they do and how they better themselves and you know i had obviously had the darts player on because it's called the perfect athlete podcast and people don't see darts players as, as athletes because of their it's a pub game and most people see it as, but the, the concentration they have to have. And it's, um, it's really the, it, to me, it would be too boring. I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, <laughs> but like to have, to be able to just constantly just, it's the same motion over and over again. It'd be like throwing a slow jab over and over and over again. And that's all you're allowed to throw forever. You're not allowed to move your feet. You're not allowed to do this. And you got to try and hit this tiny thing. It's uh yeah, it's a, uh, a huge skill and like it's crazy when you see these darts players consistently perform um i think that's incredible incredible mind to have and uh wanted to give them their their right light in the in in the athlete world podcast host boxer husband father but it's a rite of passage when you you know you grow up in the uk you got to play football were you a soccer guy growing up were you any good uh, I yeah that, that was my sport. It, okay. It kind of still it kind of still is <laughs> in terms of you know it's my it was always my number one love. Um, I played from as soon as I think my dad told me I could drop kick a football at 18 months old. Um, so yeah, I used to play a lot and I was never I was never good enough to to, to make it. I I used to have a season ticket at the the football club that I, I managed to obviously fight at and um, when I was 12 till I was 14, so a couple of seasons. 
Um, but yeah, I lo always love football. I miss playing it. Um, I've played a couple of times during my career, just like six side matches. Um, and then the last time I did that, I shot, scored a goal. And as I did it, I was off balance, put my arm down and I felt this click and this pain in my elbow. Um, and that was after, just after I'd won the, it was after I won the European title, I think. And I was like, oh, I can't, can't do this anymore. I don't get injured. My arms never get injured. Like my elbows or anything, no hands, like touch wood during uh, boxing. And then I play football, my elbow goes. And I'm like, oh, it's too dangerous, this sport. I'll just get punched <laughs> in the head. Uh, what I love about football across the pond and all over Europe is the different divisions. You know, the Premier League, you know, Champions League. I love that. And I love that smaller towns like Bournemouth, you guys weren't in the Premier League, and yet the passion for the fans there are so huge. So growing up, they weren't in the, in the Premier League. Did you have another team that you liked? They were Premier Leagues, or you were always loyal to Bournemouth? Yeah, no, I um, we were in Division, what was used to be Division 3. Now it's called League 2 because mm -hmm. um, they've got the Premiership, Championship, League 1, League 2. So it was like the fourth tier of football. Um, and now, uh, and so I kind of supported Chelsea as well. And they were kind of my team. That was probably back in the mid to late nineties. Um, and I, I, I liked them in my teens as well, but obviously I had a season. I never watched them. Uh, I think they, the first time I went and watched them was when Bournemouth played them away uh, <laughs> and we beat them one nil. Uh, Bournemouth beat Chelsea one nil. So um, yeah, I was, I was buzzing that day and uh, yeah, I was supported Chelsea. Had a few Chelsea kits as, when I was younger and stuff, but the, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was Bournemouth for always my team. Do you remember where you were? I think it was 2015 when they got uh, when they made it back when they won the championship and went back to the Premier League. Do you remember where you were? How you celebrated? Or was that like the greatest feeling in the world? Yeah, uh, this is a good story. I was at my friend's house who lives probably, I reckon, door to door, 300 meters from the football stadium. So I was at his, at his house watching the game on on Sky Sports, and uh, he we were like, if we if we get promoted, we'll run across the stadium. We'll they'll open the gates. We'll run on the pitch because everyone's going to run on the pitch. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, let's do that." So we're like, "Okay." There's three of us there, and he goes, "I've got some, I've got some outfits," and uh, I was like, "He's like, I've got a Tweety Pie and Sylvester outfit." So I've stuck on Tweety Pie. He's stuck on Sylvester. We've run across, <laughs> and we're like, we got on TV and everything. Um, so yeah, we did that, and that was that was good fun. There's some pictures of us and like little clips and then um i uh obviously we got relegated and then last time we got promoted a couple of seasons ago um i got the tweety pie outfit off him and i knew a few people at the club but i stuck it in one of the offices i was there with my uh with my sponsors through dark they had a they had some tickets for me and they're nottingham forest fans and we were playing nottingham forest um and we won one nil and then i was like nearly the whistle was about to go and I text my mate like get me that get me the keys to the office when I got the outfit on and went back on the picture that so uh yeah it was good fun we had we, it was nice nice memory but uh yeah so it was uh basically yeah, both times we've been promoted to the Premier League I've, I've ended up on the pitch in a Tweety Pie outfit that's awesome one more football question might be a little difficult one Bournemouth win Premier League or England win the World Cup what would you want to see most uh, England win the World okay, Cup. Okay. <laughs> the whole country would be. I don't think you'd understand it because I feel you, you guys in the states are super passionate about your sports, but I just the the it's it's like when a it'd be like a small town mm -hmm. NFL team winning the the Super Bowl, and that's what it'd be like if England won the World Cup. But and the, the whole, whole country, country oh, I'm so jealous yeah, I'd be of that really. 50 million people just go, oh. it'd be riots. I don't know if this country <laughs> better handle it. There would be public holidays. No one, will, no one would be going into work. <laughs> Nobody would be going into work. The roads would be so quiet or just littered and oh, it'd, be, <laughs> it'd be crazy, but it'd be, it'd be some experience. And I've always, as a, since I was a little kid, wanted to experience it once in my lifetime. And um, we've obviously got some very good players at the moment and I'm hoping, uh, you know, the likes of Jude Bellingham and, and people like that can carry us over the line and get it done so I can witness it. And maybe wait a few more years so my son can appreciate it as well so he can actually realise what's going on. But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it'd be absolutely pandemonium over it. One more question before we talk boxing. Is it true you took a year off from school to travel Australia? 
Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so how old were you? What was up with that? Uh, 11. I was 11 years old. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought it was like recent. Okay. No. So, yeah. So our school over here goes till 16 and then you can either go to work or college or now you have to kind of go into college or higher education or apprenticeship or something. But back then you could just go straight into work. Um, so yeah, we, my parents wanted to go traveling before they turned 50. Both my other brothers had left school. We had a lovely house. They downsized the house, used the money to, to go traveling for a year. And, uh, my brothers sort of, after a couple of months went off on their own cause they were 18 and 20 years old. Um, I was 11 and just, we traveled around in a trailer tent and a, a Toyota Land Cruiser. Wow. Um, and yeah, just, a, uh, I, I'm so spoiled. It's a joke. <laughs> I, I feel like my life is a, a film sometimes because that's just, it was, just, I'm so fortunate that my parents were, were willing to do that. And, um, yeah, I think uh, I think they probably told the people here we were emigrating over there, but um, because of school reasons and stuff, they can't just let you. But yeah, came yeah. back, <laughs> I, went straight, I went straight into the same school year as all my friends were in. Um, wow. Year it was year seven, which isn't over is over here isn't that much of an important year. It's the first year of high school, mm -hmm. so it's um, it's not a massive deal i don't think many people learn a lot but i learned a hell of a lot traveling around australia and you know uh learning to be on my own was one of them because i just basically jumped to my bmx wherever we were staying and uh just just rode around and tried to make friends that but we're only ever in a place for probably most of the time average about four or five days so wow but yeah the whole of australia started in perth up the west coast across the east down crazy um so fortunate so so fortunate I have a lot of boxers on and a lot of them come from not the greatest upbringings, you know, where they had to fight. That was their only thing. And the way you're talking, you had older brothers, you had a great family traveling. Why boxing for you? And I know it's a generic question, but it's very curious, a guy like you getting into boxing. Yeah. Um, and my dad definitely didn't want me to, to go into boxing. And uh, he, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I think I, I, I played a lot of sports. I was always into sport and when I was a kid with, you know, family parties, they were like, my, they might, uh, aunties might ask me, what am I going to do when I grow up? And back then it was like, be a footballer. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> everyone always knew I was going to be involved in sport in one way, shape or form. I went to college and that's when I actually started boxing was when I was 16. I started training because I met a friend at college who um, he, he boxed, went and watched him, got inspired by him and, and, uh, Everyone, all of us were, you know, it was like 20 of us there all chanting his name. And I was like, that must be amazing having your mates there chanting for you. Um, so that's basically why I started because the atmosphere. Um, and then 10 months later, I was having my first fight. So, yeah, I think I, I just, I played a lot of sport, but team sports, you could, you could get let down. Um, you could have the best game of your life in, in football and still lose 5-0. Um, and that, I didn't like that. I liked having control. Um, and boxing felt like one of those sports where I think you could, you know, I got out what I put in. Um, and I really dedicated myself from like early on when I was training, I'd give it everything. Um, I'd be looking for new ways. I'd, I did a nutrition course when I was in the amateurs. So oh. I'd know what to do. I'd go and pay for my own strength conditioning, even though I was earning very, very little money. Cause I was just sort of personal training alongside, um, alongside boxing but it was always just focus on boxing even as an amateur so yeah um yeah, i think it was just yeah there's i just love sport and i just found boxing and it really was just a hobby um and it was a hobby until i i sort of i'd had maybe 20 fights or something and i thought i got an assessment for the great britain squad and i thought okay maybe i could go to the olympics and who knows if i just really really give everything and i'll have no regrets and then Never got to on the actual squad, but I had a lot of trials for the Great Britain team. And then I was like, well, I've got to turn professional then. And thankfully, I, I'd been sparring George Groves at the time, who was... Oh, yeah, of course. Um, he was just about to win. It was just before he won his world title, but he was like my favourite fighter ever anyway. So I got to spar. I was sparring him for like a year anyway during the amateurs. And I was like, I'm going to turn pro. I'm going to ask Shane McGuigan, his coach, um for if he'd one if he'd train me and if not at least give me advice on where to go and what what he would recommend because obviously the mcguigan family are 
they know their boxing. And, yeah, uh, legends. Yeah, thankfully um, he took me on, and uh, yeah, and of the rest is history, as they say. Now, amateurs out there, I love amateur down in uh, in Ireland, in the UK, down in Mexico, because you guys fight a thousand fights, and the amateurs is like you guys are still heroes down there. You got to the finals a few times, you didn't win. How did you stay motivated? Because that would be crushing you. You know, you're an amateur. You're an amateur. You're so close. What kept you dry? Like, what kept you drive so high? I think, I think the uh, <laughs> the losses gave me more drive because it was like, okay, I'm I'm not. I know I'm not the finished article anyway, but I was, I was like, okay, well, I need to do more. And it was always like, I always based my my sort of happiness on my performances so if i was performing well i was happy even if i lost then one of the finals i thought i'd won the fight um and then got a great britain assessment off off the back of it so i was just like okay i want to get better and i've just always had the the mindset to get better i remember being a kid and like i said i had an unbelievable upbringing we had a lovely garden my dad created a little sort of uh, put a little football goal at the end and like a little mini football pitch and I used to like practice free kicks. I, I was in the David Beckham era, so he's uh, he was a legend to me. Uh, he broke my heart in 1998 when he got sent off. But uh, he, yeah, so I used to be in the garden just practicing free kicks over and over again. And that was just me. Like that was that was me from a very young age, not being told that oh practice makes perfect or anything like that, or you've got to work. It was just the love of the sport. Um, so yeah, I think that's just. I've always had that growth mindset of just looking to improve in every area and never, never thinking I'm good enough, but having the confidence that I'm going to be good enough if I keep, keep working. And uh, that's still my mindset today. When you turned pro, you fought like four times in like five or six months. Was that your plan? Was that your team's plan? Like, did you have a blueprint going in there? Yeah, I actually fought box four times in 11 weeks. Um, so yeah, the 16th of September was my debut, and my fourth fight was the December the second. So yeah, it was uh, it, it, it was it was the way it fell. I was really fortunate where I had um some pro shows back home um, with my old uh, a guy I used to work at his gym, Steve Bendel, who was English middleweight champion and um, box. You know, he beat Paul Smith, who who obviously ended up boxing for world titles and stuff over here, but. Um, he had a gym down in Bournemouth and um, he had, I used to train some of the pros out there before I turned pro. Um, Cause I, when I turned pro, I moved to London where the gym was. So that's probably like two hours away from two, three hours away from, um, from Bournemouth. So I had to stop training them. But um, so he put on shows down there for like pros, just small hall show. Um, and I had my debut on that. And then four weeks later, George Groves was fighting and he had a slot on his undercard that was in his contract that he could decide who's on it. And he, he gave it to me. So I got to share a change room with, you know, my, my idol in, in my second fight. Uh, I was on a quarter to six. The doors were actually closed <laughs> and the, and the, uh, all my fans ended up, I did a ring walk without any music with my opponent. It was all very weird. And they were like, just trying to get me out, I think. And then, uh, I got in the ring announcing my name and all my fans came running through and I found out after they basically pushed past security because they could hear my name getting announced. Um, so yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that was the the second fight. Uh, three weeks after that, McGuigan's um, had the cycling promotions. They had a, a show. Um, and then another three weeks after that, they, they had another show. So they were the sh two shows I was meant to be on. And then I was fortunate to be on the show back home. Uh, for my debut, and then obviously George's undercard as well. So I think any pro starting out, I think the plan is always to keep them busy. Mm -hmm. um, I think it helped that they were they were short fights early on. You know, I think I went five rounds in my, no, not even five rounds in my first uh, four fights. So um, that probably helped and didn't take any, you know, any wear and tear in those fights either. So I was able just to keep training right through. And it's weird because you weren't really known as a knockout guy as an amateur, yet you turn pro and you become a knockout guy. What what changed with you? Shane. <laughs> Shane McGuigan. <laughs> wow, He's, really? Uh, he made that much of a difference to make you a knockout guy? Yeah. He, wow, uh, wow. I, he was just – I was always coachable, but I never – like my amateur coach was a good amateur coach, but he was very much sort of in and out boxing. Um but Shane is obviously a master at what he does. Uh, the amateur coaches there, they're volunteers. Um, Shane knows what to do. And I was just very coachable. And 
um he started developing my power and through the technique and, and the work we were doing and then it from it got to a stage where in sparring it was just about belief and I was sparring a guy one day who had sparred a couple of times and I think he got to the end of the third round and Shane was like mate you're buzzing him like to his boots like it, not that we're going in there to kill people in sparring or you know knock but he was like you've got to believe in your power and then I hit him with a shot and then just rattled a few off and, and dropped him and I was like what like I'm that's new wow. <laughs> uh, but I walked off like I do it all the time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and that was that was it and then from then on it was uh my first five fights were, were, were all all stoppages and um it wasn't until my sixth fight I went to points and then obviously yeah now I've got 12 12 knockouts and uh yeah it's uh it's it's crazy the development but it's it's down to Shane and myself just just being the perfect pair to be honest and I think um yeah it's one of those relationships in sport I feel which when you get like a an athlete and a coach to so just bond and we bond on on a coaching level um but we also bond out, outside of it as well we're really close I remember to this day, whenever I go to Yankee Stadium, the Yankees are my team, and you walk out on the runway and you see the green grass, you get chills. And I've been very fortunate two or three times never to play for the Yankees, but to be on the field for whatever, you know, to walk on the field for a second, you get chills. To come out of your stadium where your childhood teams was, your idol, can you possibly put that into words what that feeling is to have your fans cheer for you in the stadium where you would get chills of dreaming of playing? Yeah, uh, it's a. Uh... It's crazy because I tried to explain to someone like, imagine it's not a childhood dream because obviously I didn't start boxing until sixteen, yeah. but it feels like a childhood dream to me because of of obviously boxing become my sport and Bournemouth for my football team and I always wanted to play on that pitch. But it, it's imagine actually achieving your perfect night and your perfect dream and and I actually got to do that and it's just crazy. I mean the night the the week of the fight we went to the stadium a couple of times we had like a, a an event in the community there on the wednesday and i walked out and they'd all laid all everything on the pitch and i got a bit emotional then i was like this is crazy and then on the friday we did the ring walk rehearsals so that on the fights on the saturday we'd done the weigh-in on the friday friday night we're there and just before the ring walk rehearsals i was like this is mad like all the state the rings up and all the lighting and the canopy and uh i was like i know what i'm gonna do and i went and walked up to my old season ticket seat where i used to sit in and i sat there and i just posted the picture on instagram get your wife to show you it the yeah. other day um and i'm sat in that seat looking out on the pitch just shaking my head like what is going on this is mental i used to sit in here 20 years ago cheer players names like thinking that would be amazing to have people chanting your name and Tomorrow night, there's going to be, you know, thousands and thousands of people in there chanting your name. And uh, I thought it was important to enjoy that moment the night before the fight and really take it in. So then when I do the walkout, it's not as emotional and it's not as sort of overwhelming. So it was really important um, for me to do that. Uh, and then, like I said, we do a ring walk rehearsal. So the actual ring walk is played and you do the walk and there's a stage and everything and it was, you know, good to do that, sort of get in the zone and do your do your ring walk, um, visualise that, which is easier said than done when yeah. the next night there's a load of thousands <laughs> of people. The stage was on the stand where I used to uh, used to sit. So I, I faced the stand and uh, Nonny, who I used to sit next to, he passed away a few years ago, but he's the one who chants Red Army. And they, they do it before every Bournemouth game. They've got a, a voice recording. He was even on like the FIFA oh, game. What? No, really? Yeah. So he can if you if you play with Bournemouth on FIFA, like you can hear him. Um, and so I always have that before my ring walks. Uh, and his family love it as well, which is really nice. Um, so I have that. And then I've got, I'm facing the North Stand where I used to sit. That comes out. He chants Red Army and that, he shout, shouts it. And then the fans shout it back. So it goes Red Army and then the whole fans just go Red Army. And it's like, he does that twice and then says, thank you. And then it goes into my entrance tune. Um, so he's he he says Red Army and then I'm stood in front of the stand where I used to sit on a stage 
and they're all chanting it at me and I'm just like, this is mental. And uh, yeah, then my ring walk tune kicks in the rest of it. And, uh, you know, I, I turn around and, and, and face the ring and do finish off my ring walk. But really, really special night. That's what I mean. It was the perfect night. It was a special moment. And, you know, thankfully in this day and age, um, we we get everything's recorded so I can watch you back as many times <laughs> as I want. And uh, I'll have that memory forever. You told me that story, and I actually I have chills right now. How'd you keep it together? Like I legit have chills right now when you just said your boy yelled right on me. Like, How do you keep it together, bro? I'd be I'd be bowling walking down there. Yeah, I, it was crazy. I think because I'd done it the night before okay. with the music, obviously not the fans, but it's a different sort of level, I guess. When you you know what to expect, you you allow a little bit the right amount of emotion in right around amount of the atmosphere in but you can't get overwhelmed by it but i just knew on the night i just had to stay focused get the job done and i can watch it back and forever i'll have a, a memorable night and uh thankfully that's what i've got your fans there are loyal but i'm gonna say something here mick conlin is a very good friend of mine he always comes to new york he fights at the garden and he does my show right before every time he fights he does a before and after show and the garden crowd loves boxing all your 19 fights now have been over there. Any interest or talk of you fighting in the garden in Vegas or anywhere else? I mean, yeah, I mean, Vegas is my next dream. Um, okay. all the gardens, to be honest, I'll take either, but <laughs> you I, get good I pizza think... here. So afterwards you get your pizza here in New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for me there, so where the football stadium is, is in a place called Boscombe, right? And okay. a lot of people call it boss Vegas. So I'd love to, I've always had this idea because my debut was in Boscombe at a little venue. Okay. And I've always had this idea of a documentary doing Boss Vegas to Las Vegas. <laughs> so um, that's kind of my my next dream as such. But I mean, to fight in the garden would be phenomenal. Um, it really would. It'd be absolutely crazy because it's such a historic venue, obviously, for so many reasons. But boxing, you know, is is, is been huge. Um, in New York as a whole, but in the garden, it's obviously got so many special memories. And uh, yeah, that, I, I'd love that. But the Bournemouth Football Club have got um, American owners, Bill Foley, who uh -huh. owns the Vegas Knights. So I'm hoping we can squeeze that in somewhere, <laughs> and make it work. And who knows, uh, you know, I, I'll, I've mentioned it. And once upon a time, I, I just mentioned the stadium in an interview and I wanted to win a world title there and that happened. So <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'd absolutely love to fight in, in America. The, the, I think the fans over there would definitely enjoy my style of fighting as well. I'm, I'm entertaining and, uh, yeah, I'd love to, love to do a, a trip out there. Personal question. How difficult is it now married with a young one to go into camp and train? How hard is that to juggle for you? Yeah, I was on the phone to my friend earlier today and, uh, my wife as, as well was away at the weekend. So I had him um, Sunday night. I put him down and uh, I was so hard because I was leaving him at um, my mother-in-law's because I was coming back up to camp and putting him down was so hard to put him down to bed. It was just, I just sat with him asleep on me for ages because I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go. Um, it's, it's, he's like I said, he's 16 months old today. So it's, it's, such a good time. I don't know if you have kids of your own. No, no, no. No, but it's just such a special time. Like, they're just growing and it's, uh, yeah, he's just amazing. And uh, I just, I miss him so much in camp. It's so hard. It's oh. the by far hardest thing to do. Um, I've never, obviously, time away from my wife, but it's been difficult before he, he came along. But she's working during the week and stuff like that. And, you know, she doesn't learn a new word every week and uh, a new skill every week. And every time I speak to him now, he's got a clearer voice. He says certain words, oh you know, my God. more incredible. And, and um, yeah, he's such a little character. He's, I love him the bits, but he, uh, yeah, he's by, by, it's by far the hardest thing. It's the only sacrifice I've had to make is time away from him. I don't see any of the other things as sacrifices because you're getting better and you're improving your life in one way, shape or form. So I don't drink, you know, if you miss parties or weddings and stuff, yes, they're, they're special memories, but when it's your actual own family, that's a sacrifice. And I think um, that's kind of what I've always said is the only sacrifice I've made is 
kind of missing parts of my son growing up and that is uh yeah it's difficult it's a dilemma of sort of still still dealing with now to be honest day to day um but they're coming down to see me uh, coming up to see me in london this week for the weekend thursday to sunday usually i'd go home on a friday night come back up on a sunday um but they're coming up to london to see me for the weekend because i'm Doing some work for the uh, the zone show mm-hmm. or the matchroom show on on Saturday night. Um, so yeah, it's um, that'd be nice for them to come up here and, and spend some time with them up here and see some friends who've also got a little one and stuff. So um, that'd be nice. But um, I get to see him for an extra day basically this week. So I'm buzzing. I want to talk about the title, not the match. You, I'm trying to make the interview a little different because everyone's like, "Oh, let's talk about the 112, 112 scorecard, all that stuff." You win the title. I know you missed the party. My problem with you is you're too humble of a dude. You're too nice. If I won the title at Madison Square Garden, I don't care if it was five degrees out, I'd walk down the street with no shirt on and the belt. Were you walking <laughs> around all over England, all over town with the belt on? Be honest. <laughs> Do you know what? I did an interview earlier on a radio station over here called Talk Sport. Okay. And, uh, and they were like, where's the belt? And I was like, oh. I forgot it. Sorry. And I was on Sky Sports yesterday and I took the belt on. And then today I was on TalkSport and I've, I've, it's here on the, in, the, in, in the bedroom. Uh, and they've uh, and they basically had a go at me about it. And uh, <laughs> I, I didn't get my team didn't prompt me. I always tell them to remind me for to take the belt because literally it sits at home in a box like it's it's lovely. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's 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 not about the belt, if that makes sense. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's about the achievement. And it is really about the journey. I know it's such a cliche thing to say, but now you've achieved it. It's about the journey. And that's why I'm just uh, carrying on the journey to the, to the next goal. But yeah, no, I, I did. Uh, we did make some jokes. Me and my mates, one, I think, was it my wife? I think said, are we going to get an open top bus? <laughs> and go to the whole town of Bournemouth. And I was like, uh, no, I don't, don't really, I don't think so. I don't think that's what I'm going to do. But um I got to parade it around the Bournemouth pitch, obviously the first game of the season, which yeah. is uh, which is special for me, really special, especially as that's where obviously I won the title and uh, and, the, and the, the fans were chanting my name then, which is special. But no, it's uh, we, we've we've had some had some it, like jokes with the team and stuff. Like me, Shane McGregor and Josh Pritchard is is assistant. I'll maybe send them a picture of me just like with the, with the belt, like. Um, just joking around at home and stuff like I'm going to walk down the shop like this or whatever, but uh, no, I'd never actually do it. How have you changed the most since your first fight six years ago till now? You're the champion. So what changed when you became the champion and what changed the most in you? Uh, not much has changed. It was just always, like I said before, the growth mindset of just getting better and knowing there's things to work on and knowing what you do well and taking confidence from that. But knowing there's things to work on. I'm far from, you know, I'm no Floyd Mayweather. I get hit way too much. There's, there's <laughs> things I've got to work on. Do you know what I mean? So um, there's, I just think, and also like I'm in a gym where win a world title is not the norm, but it's expected that, yeah. that you'll fight for a world title. And I've obviously, I mean, when I came, I know when I came to the gym, they weren't expecting that of me. They'd just loved me to fight for a world title. Um, but then I've obviously gone and beat a champion and, and, and done that. And now it's looking, looking for bigger, bigger things. And, uh, yeah, I think, um, that's just the, the thing is nothing's changed. It's just still, still the same. I'm much more confident, I think. And I think content in terms of that I put in the work all that, all those years and I made compromises, not sacrifices, but compromises with, with things and, and it was worth it. And because I always had this sort of mantra that why would you do that when it's not making you better? And then like, if I go and say all that and then just don't do anything, you know, it's like, well, you miss out on all those things and, and for no reason. But for me, it was never for no reason. It was always like, I don't want to have any regrets. And not only will I not have any regrets, I'm also going to be uh, extremely happy with, with what I have achieved so far. Um, and hopefully, obviously, achieve a lot more. I've had a bunch of champions on, and your post-fight interview, and I rewatched the fight yesterday because I knew you were coming on today. It was so raw, and I wrote down when the when the announcer says to you, like, fairy tales do come true. You said, this is perfect. There's nothing more. You win the title. 
did you feel any sign of maybe i don't want to say depression but like oh my god i just reached the peak what's next like some guys like yeah bro when i made it to the major leagues when i won the super bowl it's like oh my god you went home that night like what's next did you have any of that feeling or you were just like okay i did it no i think i was very appreciative and uh grateful really for for it all because so many people were putting so much work um grateful to myself for always sticking at it and um grateful to have that moment because like i said it was perfect and and i don't think i'll ever get a better night than that because yeah. it was so perfect but i think it's important for me to know that but still have goals and not so i'm not chasing it do you know what i mean i'm not chasing trying to get that same feeling ever ever again or every fight and it's it's the motivation's changed, you know, I've got a family now. I think before I was kind of doing it for myself in because that had been my goal the whole time. Obviously, they had added motivation with my family. But now it's like, OK, I'm doing this for my family and, and, and their future. And, you know, to to build my own brand so I can help as, as many people as I can sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, no, I think. Yeah, it's. uh it could, I, just, I, I don't think it, it will get any better, but I guess I have had a bit of a dip, to be honest, like probably the last month, not last month or so, maybe, yeah, maybe about a month ago, there was a bit, that's when I first had a bit of a dip and sort of coming back into camp, it was okay because I got out of shape, not out of shape, out of shape, but mm -hmm. for me, it was out of shape. I hadn't done as many sessions as I'd like. And then, um, yeah, but it's, I think there was a dip, but I can't be can't be annoyed or anything like that. I think for me, like you can't you can't be that night. But how many people get to live their like I said, it's like a childhood dream. But I reckon very a handful of people get to experience what I experience, and I'm so grateful to for that. And I'll always have that memory to live on. Um, and now it's just about just yeah like i said just building and creating more memories and, and not looking for that same high just looking for other highs and um i'm creating creating more memories i think is the best best way of putting it you're the champion now you're a marked man how does it work now with the fights are obviously it's not social media someone dming you is it going through promoters like oh i want to fight that guy are people reaching out to you are you picking an ex opponent because you're a marked guy now people are gunning for you yeah, yeah, you get you, you get a lot more mentions now. You've got a belt, um, it, you know. You get people who I lost to in the amateurs yeah. uh, start <laughs> calling, calling me out, who have, whose careers have, have sort of plateaued, um, even though they're nowhere. They're not even in the ra rankings for the, for the belt. <laughs> so I'll get yourself in the rankings and we'll do it, and I'll put it right. Uh, but no, it's uh, yeah, the promoters and, and the team. Obviously, I don't really get involved in negotiations. I've always left that to the team. That's what they've done before I, I turn pro and they'll do it after I turn pro. That's what, that's their job. And then I can just focus on, on, you know, they tell me who I'm fighting and I can just focus on that style and, uh, focus on what I've got to do. Um, and, and, and my life of being a dad and doing all that. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interesting though. It is interesting. It's, it's nice to be a, a marked man. It's, uh, it's funny. I think it, it suits me well and it gives me a huge drive because I know what it's like to be a challenger um, and, and have that opportunity. Um, so now I've got to train like I'm fighting myself in, in, in my last fight. Do you know what I mean? I was a, a madman all camp and uh, I'm, that's what all my challenges are going to be like. Last time you checked the rankings on ESPN, when's the last time you checked them? Well, I don't know. I don't we're not really at ESPN over here. We, okay, we just, when's the last time you checked the rankings over there? Have you checked? Do you check them or no? We have a so you you know box rec. Yeah, of course. So, so yeah, so I think I someone sent it to me and I was like number two on box rec or something like that. In, oh, you, you're in three on ESPN. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. Who's number one? Is is upper tire number one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm I'm cool with that. Um, I'll get I'll get my uh, that's drive. You know that gives me more drive. Um, so yeah, so I, I need to prove that I'm uh, I'm number one. Any idea when your next fight might be? You have an idea of when you're thrown out? Not the exact date, maybe when soon. 
Uh, yeah, we're looking at November. Um, may get pushed back to the first week of December, but um, it'll be this year for sure. Obviously, I've only boxed once this year because it got pushed back to end of May to fit in with the football season. So, um, yeah, obviously, you want to fight more than once a year. Uh, ideally, you want to fight more than twice a year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But this year, it'll be, it'll be twice a year. So, towards the end of, uh, of this year, yeah. Well, it's great. I'll be in London November 11th and 12th. So, if you, you can make the fight then, and then I will be in anywhere, maybe uh, Amsterdam December 1st around that time. So, if you can make the fight around that time, I'd really appreciate it, right? <laughs> I do what I can. Yeah, I do what I can. What, how, come, how come you're in the UK? So I'm actually trying to visit every country in the world, and I'm actually going to the Congo, and they had the easiest flight was a day layover in London, and my wife's family lives there. She's from the Philippines, but her family lives there, so I'll be there uh, November uh, November 11th and 12th. I'll stay there for two days. Then I'm going to the Congo to watch World Cup qualifying soccer, and then her family gets together for um, Cousins Christmas every year, and half of them live in the UK, half of them live in Germany, so we're going to meet halfway. Oh, awesome. awesome. So I'll, take, sounds... I'll take everyone to watch one of your fights. Yeah, yeah. I'll, um, I'll try. I'll see what I can do. But um, no, for sure. Um, Amsterdam's amazing, by the way. I've just yeah, been yeah, there of course. For the, yes. Went there for the F1. Um, phenomenal. Phenomenal out there. Such a cool, one of my favorite cities. Really feel really safe there. I was at, went there with my wife and uh, yeah, really, really cool city. Obviously, we were there for the F1, but we checked out the city as well. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, if you're if you're in the UK, we'll have to try and catch up for a coffee or something. Without a doubt. But before we finish up with the quick hit questions, are you still doing that charitable thing? Is it Dorset Children? And I'm I'm sorry if I mispronounced it. What are you doing with the charity things? I know you're a huge charity guy. Yeah, so Dorset Children's Foundation. Um, I, I, I'm an ambassador for them, and also another foundation now called the Steve Bernard Foundation. Um, that's a local guy from from down down Bournemouth. His um, family have set up he passed away uh but he was a big football fan so they raised money and put it into local community for sports and stuff so uh and also those two charities work together quite a lot so it's um yeah it's nice ready to finish up with some quick hit questions let's go you and i are at a bar or a pub who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them they would text you back so you want to impress everyone be like guys i know i'm wearing the belt but he is the coolest person I can text to impress everybody. Who is it? Um, it, it from, I think over here be Kano, who's uh, he's a rapper. He's the, the I come out to him, and yeah, he's okay. in uh, the TV series Top Boy. I don't know if you guys have seen that over there. I know who he is. But, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I was with him the other week at uh, a, a film premiere, and uh, he's uh, he's by far he's the, he's the coolest guy I know. <laughs> In, in England, so and I've got his I've got his number, so now nah, he's a good guy. Besides the belt, what's the coolest piece of memorabilia that you own? Oh, good question. Um, oh, who's bit of memorabilia? It's not memorabilia, but it's uh, my dad worked on the Harry Potter films, and he's got uh, so the Harry Potter studios are in in, in London, of course. He's got a. They have Ollivander's one shop, and he he's got a one box with his name on it. So that's that's, that's a the sick. Cool. An that's one of the best answers I've ever heard on this. That's uh, yeah, and uh, when I met my wife, actually, it was the first picture I ever sent her was a picture of the one box with my dad's name on it. You're and smooth, man. You're smooth. She was like, "I love Harry Potter," and I was like, "Look at this. There we go." <laughs> and uh, yeah, nine years later, we're married with a child. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one sporting event in history, in the history of sports, you wish you could have witnessed live? You can sit front row at any sporting event in history, maybe a boxing match, anything. What would it be? It's, it has to be the 1966 World Cup final when England beat Germany. Like I said, it would just be crazy to witness that. And uh, yeah, that. And I, I mean, another one would probably maybe be. A, a tennis match like i remember f watching i was on my first lads holiday um in tenerife and me and my friend watched um uh federer against nadal wimbledon oh, wimbledon oh 2007 uh 2007 2008 2008 i think it was and it was phenomenal it was epic it, it was that yes me and my mate were just sat there there were all the other lads were at the hotel we were sat there with some you know this is when i used to drink alcohol with like pictures of, of booze and uh, 
we were just sat there watching it like this is crazy uh so yeah it was uh that was another another one but yeah for me it'd have to be the 66 uh world cup final people ask you now for autographs how about the last time you asked someone for an autograph or asked someone to take a picture with them who was it uh or a picture Ooh. Uh, it's probably Aaron Ramsdale, the Arsenal goalkeeper. He's a he's a friend of mine, but um, he's. I went to a game and uh, got his autograph. Got him to sign like the match program. I'm a sucker for memorabilia. I love that sort of stuff. So um, I, every things like that, I like to uh, I like to get. And I got him after one of the games when he played Bournemouth because he used to play for Bournemouth, and then okay. he moved. That's how I met him, and then. Uh, and he's been to my fights and stuff. And uh, yeah, he um, he signed one of his shirts that he wore during the match, um, and uh, and gave me that. So I've got that at home, and that's uh, I need to get it framed. And when I eventually have my sort of gym, yeah, I yeah, want yeah. all these cool things around around the round the wall um, for you know inspiration. And final one, it's two thirty in the morning. You're home alone. What is your favorite show to binge watch? Or from two thirty in the morning, I should be asleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite show to binge watch? That's a good one. Uh, I'm. It'd be The Office, the UK version. Okay, okay. The first series, Ricky Gervais, the, <laughs> he's the funniest man in the world. He cracks me up, and uh, yeah, I could. I watch that series. There's only like seven or eight episodes. Yeah. And they're not that long. And I just, I watch them, you know, most camps I'll go through watching them. Um, and just, just if I'm ever bored or something like that, uh, a bit of comedy, you know, is always good. So, uh, yeah, I'd have to say the UK office. And I know you Americans all love the, the American office. And a lot of UK people love it too, but you have to watch the UK one. You might not get it because it's very... Gervais is dry. awesome, bro. He's awesome. He's just so good. Um, I went to saw him, see him live actually last year and... On one of his new shows, it's just phenomenal, phenomenal. Champ, this was an absolute blast. I hope it was a little different, not just talking boxing every second. I wanted to get to know you. You gave sick answers, bro. You opened up about how you're romantic and the kid and the title. Dude, this was awesome, bro. No, thanks very much, you, you, mate. You're great at what you do. Uh, I really mean that. It's uh, it's nice to have such enthusiasm uh, as a you know going on podcasts and uh, when i do my podcast again i'll be look, taking some tips from you and learning from you for sure thank you mate thank you for your time i appreciate it see you soon champ take care bye-bye, bye-bye.